for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited Series in all other categories. HBO's original limited series, Mayor of Easttown, starring Kate Winslet, follows a small-town Pennsylvania detective, Mayor Sheehan, played by Winslet, who investigates a local murder. The series explores the dark side of a close community and provides an authentic examination of how family and past tragedies can define our present. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. We're here today with the creator of HBO's limited series, Mayor of Easttown, Brad Inglesby, who's created quite a labyrinth. Let's take a listen. The show remind I grew up in Southern Vermont, and the show reminds me very much about where I grew up. Uh, when I was growing up, I thought, David Lynch was talking to me in Twin Peaks. You took it to a whole, I mean, while that had a lot of uh, colorful characters, yours was significantly, of course, more grounded and more real. And Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, and I know you grew up in Pennsylvania. What was it about the Northeast area? I mean, I could, I, I I always thought the people I knew were ripe for drama, but what was it, what, how did it speak to you growing up in the Northeast? What made these working class small towns ripe for drama? Well, I think that's always been an interest of mine as a writer is taking kind of these working class individuals and putting them in extreme, you know, in this case, situation, circumstance. That's always been, um, that's always been of interest to me. And I think maybe because it's, it's just how I grew up, you know, it's, um, I remember reading an article about Ann Tyler, the novelist, and, uh, and she was saying, you know, every time I sit down to write a new book, I'm, I'm always telling myself it's going to be something totally different and something outside of what I've done in the past. And then every time I get to the computer, it's about Baltimore and these people where I live. And I kind of have the same, uh, you know, habit in me that every time I sit down, I try to write about something different, but I guess it's just the blood in my veins after all these years. I can't really get rid of it. You know, it's sort of, and maybe just as a crutch, it's the people I know, I can hear their voices in my head. I don't need to do a lot of research on the area because I grew up there, I experienced it. And so what was it about the drama? I don't know if I, 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 I don't know that I was convinced I had the conflict in my head, uh, but I was convinced that I wanted to write about home and I had gotten close on a couple projects. I had done some, um, I had done some movies where we almost got to shoot in Pennsylvania in the town where it was set. And then for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And so I think it was a, I, I really was at a place in my own life and maybe because I'd moved away and I had been away for, 12 years that I just wanted to tell a sort of a story about how I grew up and I didn't grow up with a murder investigation I didn't grow up with a lot of cops but I certainly grew up you know around these people inside the Catholic Church had priests in the family over drinking Manhattans with my grandmother my grandmother lived with us and so it became a way of how do I tell a story about how I grew up, the rhythms and rituals of life in this place, 
but also have it be entertaining. And that's where Kate's character came in by, you know, by having her as a detective, uh, it, it gave us the entertainment of the show, which is a case to solve. Um, uh, it's a whodunit. And so I think it was really a desire to write about home and then also knowing that that's not gonna be very interesting. So have to create a, a, a structure, a, a detective story, a whodunit around it. But this is very believable. I mean, this is this. I feel this was ripped from a head in a, in a, in this is a compliment from a headline yep. from Brattleboro Reformer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this, this, people shoot each other over pan over when they're pan you know over pancakes. Yes. 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 Know? Yeah. Yes. Or there's a bar brawl totally uh, down mm. the road that goes that goes down you know that goes sideways. Um, well, I, I think that's yeah. a good point, Anthony. I I wanted it to always always be as um, you know, it really had to be grounded in the emotions and the um, and the interactions and the shared history of the people. That's what was most interesting to me. Like you said, it 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 couldn't be sensational, um, and that when all the cards were laid out on the table, it had to all track emotionally. And so you were able to go back and watch the show again and go, oh, that's what was going on. So that's what he was experiencing in those moments. And so I, I wanted to capture the community in an honest way, uh, in, in a way that was able to have each character you know, portrayed in a sympathetic and honest way. And so that was the most important. And then the case, as you said, and then the case had to be as grounded as the character. So it was always a balancing act. So the other thing is that I love how, how this was shot was, look, living up there, it feels like it's winter eight months out of the year. <laughs> and then once all the snow melts, you're in mud season. And I felt you shot this in mud season, which is the most purgatory of moments in the, you know, yep. in the Northeast. Can you, yes. everything was overcast. Everything felt like mud season. Can you talk about, just perfect timing. Talk about that. Well, I think that was a part, you know, I think that was a character in the show as much as any other, any other individual in the show, Anthony. And, and it was, as you said, and this is a character in Purgatory Mayor. So it felt like you, it, it felt honest that the, you know, that the weather would reflect her emotions in this time in the, in the series, right? Here's a woman that is really in limbo. She's not able to move ahead, but she's unwilling to move back because you know, any memories of her child, she's going to refuse them. And so she's really in this middle place. And so, like you said, the weather has to support that, that it's like you said, it's, it wasn't snowing, but it was cold and muddy and rainy at times. And it was, and so, and you know, the, you know, this is what it's like in, in, in the, after the winter, you're in a little bit of purgatory because it's not really nice yet. You're stuck in this limbo where you're waiting for, for the weather to break completely. And so we tried to capture that as a way of, of just highlighting Mayor's own emotional kind of uh you know limbo she's not able to you know recover and so it has to be a state of uh you know kind of static in her life and the weather has to reflect that and so we were able to you know, have the weather do that and i think uh you know our dp you know was aware of that and having to make sure that the tones and the texture of the um uh and all the lighting reflected mayor's emotional state at all times now of, of let's talk of course about the ending and i I've, I've read you know i've read up a lot on what's out there 
in addition to, of course, watching it. But um, Ryan, mm -hmm. you knew it was Ryan for several months. You knew, you knew, you didn't, it's not like you were, you wrote this and halfway through you decided, oh, okay, let me select on this guy. No, I, no, exactly. And I, I had all the characters in my head for, I want to say like eight months, but I had no idea. So I had the whole world. I had Mayor and Lori and the priest and, and Zabel and, and the chief. And, and, and I had sort of had all these characters in my mind, but I, I've watched enough of these shows to know, Hey, you got to get the ending right. Otherwise an audience is going to be disappointed that they spent all these hours you know, watching a show and at the ending it sort of left them you know I, I would say a bit meh you know hey i don't know if it was worth my time so i was convinced we had to get the ending right and listen i don't know if ryan was right or not but in terms of the of the themes of the show and mothers and sons and protecting a son um and mayor's own journey if felt strong that Ryan was the right way to go. And it wasn't until I was able to say, okay, I, I know how to end the show. It was only after I got to that decision that I was able to start writing the opening episode. For those who watch the show, because there's a lot, there's a lot mm -hmm. of detail and they may have forgotten. Can you tell us about the breadcrumbs you left mm -hmm. that pointed to Ryan? I specifically remember when Lori told Mayor, hey, I think your ex-husband had an affair with Aaron. And mm -hmm. then Mayor goes off on the tear of, of you know, you got to get a paternity test and everything. Yep. And Lori's like watching all of this. Yes, yes. From across the way. That yep. was one big breadcrumb. Yes. Uh, that pointed to, yep. you know, Lori's family being a guilty party. But were yes. there other things to indicate Ryan? Because that came as a shock to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it did. It made sense yeah. after the fighting of of Billy and John, mm -hmm. but it, it, it I wasn't expecting Ryan. Uh, it, okay. It, yeah. Good. Well, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I I think that was the Anthony. That was the trickiest part of the edit. It 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 really was was to make him, you know, was to have it be a surprise, but not have the audience feel cheated in any way a meaning when you got to the ultimate reveal you were like oh wait who is that kid and so I, I i you know every day in the edit we were saying hey we have to get to know him enough and care about him enough that when the reveal happens it's it's a surprise but it's also devastating and so i can point to a couple things and fair yeah so i to think if audience, you look at yeah yeah i think if you look at episode one when mayor arrives at Lori's house he's doing his homework and our idea there was that this is a weekend he's doing his homework and if you watch it again it's this idea that this kid that the family has suffered there's been an affair it's almost you know ripped the family apart and he's a kid that's so diligent, he doesn't want to be cause of any problem in his parents' life. Now, you would never be able to pick that up in that moment, I don't think. But having, but if you go back and watch it, he's a kid that doesn't want to be a cause of any issues. He's going to get his homework done. He's never going to let his parents worry about him because he's desperate to keep them together. And then in the... Um, 
I think the biggest you know, crumb we were able to leave is the cafeteria scene where he sees his, his sister, she's being taunted, yes. he goes over and he whacks the kid and he whacks right. him so hard. There's so much rage inside him yeah. that we wanted that to be, whoa, something's going on in this kid that's bigger than what he's telling us. And, and yet we still couldn't have it be too big of a breadcrumb. And so that's what we did about the affair. If, if you remember the next scene is Lori says, what's going on is... Is this something going on with your dad? And he never quite admits that it's an affair. He just kind of nods his head. And the intention there was that, you know, this horrible secret he's keeping is beginning to erupt inside him. He's, he wants to tell his mom the secret. He wants to get the burden off his shoulders, but ultimately can't do it. And so when she says, is he, is he having an affair with the same woman? Instead of saying, no, mom, it's a, like I killed Aaron. He says, he just kind of nods his head. At the last moment, he's able to rein in the emotions and just nod his head. And so, so we tried to have the breadcrumbs. Audiences will tell us if we had enough or too little. But I think if you go back and watch the show, yeah, you know, just knowing the end, you'll see enough of him in there that hopefully is a satisfying conclusion. Was there ever an option? I mean, the great thing about Mare is she doesn't see things black and white. Right. Very empathetic, yep. which, which of course is her shining, her shining quality. Was there ever an option where she let Ryan go, where she kind of had him confess, and then instead of sending him to the juvenile home, somehow, like, just, was that ever an option? Because... I get, I get the, the whole interesting tragedy of it all. Yep. She, she lost her son and now she's pulling a son away from her best friend. I understand yep. that, that makes yep. sense, but I'm curious, given how Mare is, would she ever let him go? Because it's not like she was, while she delved into these mysteries and these cases, it's not like she relished, it's, it, listen, it's not like she was a New York City DA or an LA, an LA, <laughs> A running, we got to get the suspect. We don't care who it is. Right. This is the person that murdered them, even if it was a guy on a bicycle, just to suffice the headlines and just to make an election. She wasn't yep. like that. Nope. That, that nope. person, she got she got a lot of crap for that that missing girl. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. It's was a great that question option to let it, Ryan go. It certainly was. I mean, it was on my mind, and and it. But I think what was hard, Anthony, when I really started to think about that was. But what does it say about her vow that she makes to Aaron? Like, because such a big part of the show was, and we had other other moments with Aaron, um, Aaron and Mayor at the murder scene. But 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 what I was always interested in was she makes a vow, a silent vow with Aaron that I'm gonna get the person that did this. Now does that does that have to trump her letting you know Ryan go? I don't know. But but ultimately. I, you know, when we got to the end, it certainly crossed my mind. Can't she, it, it's actually in the show where Lori says, couldn't you just let this, you know, it go? It's this one thing. He doesn't even know how to hold a gun. It's so heartbreaking. Like it was an accident. And I didn't know what it said about Mayor, right? She makes a vow to this girl. And what does it say about, you know, the respect that we pay to Aaron's life? It, it, it felt like a betrayal, right? That Mayor's job was to honor Aaron to you know, bring justice, and and is it is it uh, uh is it a hundred percent justice? Is it is it the right thing to do? I don't know, 
I think you can make a case that the right thing to do was to let the kid go. You could make that case and I wouldn't disagree with you, but it, but in terms of the story and mayor's character, I, you know, just the mayor I knew had made a vow as she was going to get the person that did this. And it was a connection that existed between another protagonist, Aaron in the show, and that she was going to get this person. And that to me was, a more a defining characteristic of Mare that she was going to do this no matter the cost and and the cost is incredible at the end and so it, it's it, it's a great question but I think asking those questions is you know because you said I, th I think one of the great qualities of Mare is that she's really empathetic it, is that she approaches every situation every case every incident with a level of humanity and, and also you know, experience, shared experience within the community. And that's what was so interesting about telling the story is that you have a character who, who has grown up here, has lived here her whole life. And so every case is not just a case. It's, I know the people, I know the grandmother, I was in the parish with this lady. Everything is complex and complicated and emotional. So here's an interesting, um, this is something I was wondering about, but then I'm thinking every small town sheriff or detective probably deals with this. They know everybody. Mm -hmm. um, was there ever a situation, now look, the great drama in the show is how she knows everybody and how she maneuvers her way around the town. Mm -hmm. That is, if you don't have that, there, you don't have drama, <laughs> you don't have the show. But I kept thinking, isn't there conflict of interest going on here? There were certain, <laughs> there, there were multiple times where I'm like, Oh my God, her, you know, her cousin's involved in this. Like, shouldn't she, wouldn't she be pulled off the case? I yes. Mean, was there ever any concerns of that? Or did you like say, no, artistic license, forget about it. Let's not get consumed with that. Uh, I mean, a hundred percent, Anthony. I, I, I think, you know, it came up at the end of the show too with Lori. He's like, well, that's obstruction of justice. She's hiding a secret. And, and, and it was, you know, we were always having, it's funny, we had a lot of advisors on the show. We had, you know, the chief of police and actual East Town was on the show. We talked every day. And there were certainly moments where you, you know, he would kind of go, well, it wouldn't happen that way. And I think the goal was, you know, it, it was to make it as real as possible without getting in the way of what the show was really about. And to me, the show was about mercy. It was about grief. It was about forgiveness. And so, yes, it was a balancing act. And we had, it, it was a tightrope walk along the way. And in real life, there were certainly moments where, like I said, the ending, you know, so many people have asked me, well, if Lori obstructed the investigation, wouldn't she be arrested? And then you go, sure, but what does that look like in terms of the story? It feels like yeah. this woman's lost a husband, a son, it's punitive. Are we going to have another scene where Lori's at the police station and she's interrogated? So is it real? No, not always. And, and, and I will be the first one to raise my hand and say that. But in terms of what we were trying to achieve with the emotion of the story, I, I was convinced that there were certain things that we would have to overlook, that we would have to just have an audience take a leap with us in order to achieve what we were trying to achieve in the show, which is that it wasn't necessarily a procedural, it was a portrait of a community, a portrait of a friendship, a portrait of a woman who has to ascend and confront the thing that's been haunting her. So what's the best way to tell our story? And there are other people who probably wanted us to tell a different story, but the story I was most concerned with was the story of a woman 
who adamantly isn't going to confront grief and then and at the end has to confront grief. And that's the story I was most interested in. Um, tell me how all of this was put into motion. For example, did you pitch, you know, HBO? What hooked them? Like, what was it that hooked them? And also getting Kate on board. Um, talk about getting a big fish. I know she, I've, I've heard in, in, in speaking with her, I know that she reads everything. Mm -hmm. But was it your agent that sent the script to her? Was sure. it HBO that reached out to her? I know I'm asking a ton of questions here. Just the whole process. Did you have yeah. to wait? Was it, did, was it a two weeks that you heard from her or was it six months before she? Was no. Out? Yeah. So it, it's a great question, Anthony. So this one was kind of just right. It's just, it was just, it was right place, right time, which I've learned is sort of often you know, how these things come about. But what happened was I had written the first two episodes. I sent it to my agent um, and, uh, and we were talking about names. He mentioned Kate and I, of course, was like, oh my gosh, that would be incredible. Would she even read? You never know with actors if they're going to read quickly. As you said, it, it could be months and months and months. And, um, and we all love the idea of Kate. And, and so we sent it to her and she read it, I want to say in like two days, which is really, really unusual and, um, and responded to it. And so we talked probably within a week. And I think Anthony, that she was getting ready to do Ammonite at that time. I think she was just, I think she was getting, Ammonite was, it, it was just getting ready to shoot, I think. And she was looking to do something really different and she never held a gun in any part that she's ever played, which I was, you know, I thought that was crazy because given her career and, 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 and just how incredible she's been in so many other parts, I was shocked to hear that. But, and so I think it was, it was kind of right place, right time. She wanted to take on a new challenge. And this part was something totally outside of anything she'd ever done before. And so, so she signed on after reading the first two episodes. And then we had Kate and, you know, everyone wants to be in business with Kate. So that's when we took it out and 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 we shopped it around. HBO was really interested. Kate had a relationship with them because they had done another show together. And uh, and it just felt like this was the right place. They had really good ideas on the scripts. They have done shows like this before and had extreme success with them. And so it, it was a good match and it was a great partnership. And so that was sort of, it, it happened kind of quickly, which is really unusual, but it all happened, you know, because Kate had the conviction and the belief in the story and the character. And, um, and so that was kind of the genesis of the project. David, you gotta watch Mayor of Easttown. I know you grew up in Jersey. I grew up in Vermont. I know, kind of different but it's the Northeast, I'm telling you, this show is gonna to speak to you. And it's a Kate Winslet that we have never seen before. She plays a small town Pennsylvania detective named Mayor Sheehan, and she's investigating a local murder. There's actually also a missing girl. It's brilliant, it's a labyrinth, you gotta watch it. The show is for Emmy consideration for outstanding limited series and all other categories. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max.
In your original two episodes, was it set in Pennsylvania? It was always set in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. And that's where my wife grew up. I grew up one county over, actually. But but I spent a lot of time in Delaware County. My relatives live in Delaware County. My grandmother lived in Delaware County. So it was uh, it was always set there. And then we got to shoot there, Anthony. HBO, that was a, a part of our deal, was is that we'd be able to shoot in the actual place. And, uh, and I give credit to HBO that they agreed to do that. You know, they said, sure, if it's going to make a difference and you think it's going to help with the, you know, the texture and the honesty of the piece, go do it. And I think it was a great, it, it really, it paid dividends being able to shoot there because the actors got to live there. All the cat, I mean, all the crew was around there and we all just got to kind of, uh, you know, immerse ourselves in the world of the actual place. And uh, I think it paid dividends and uh, I just feel really grateful that we got to shoot it there and I got to go home. So selfishly, it was, it was, it was a joy. Can you talk about how Kate just raised the bar on this? I know that when she, she dives into a part, she dives into a part, wigs, glasses, what have you. It's unreal. If it's, a, yep. if it's a feature adaptation of the novel, she's got the novel and she's highlighting the heck out of it. Um, <laughs> I love that, Anthony, because I can see, I can still have a, a picture in my head of all of her scripts and how many notes were written on each line of each. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? I mean, there what, did, did she find things? Did she come prepared with ideas or did she find things in the moment? Like I understand there was when with the cheese whiz, yeah, that was Kate's. Yep. That was Kate, yep. but that seemed very, you know, spur of the moment. And yep. But I, I'm just I, I think I think it was a combination, Anthony, because I think I think what I, I realized with Kate was that she would do the spur of the moment things, the cheese whiz, and there were certain lines of dialogue. But I think she was able to do that and still be in character. And that was because of all the preparation that she had had committed uh early in the process and for, i mean a, a couple examples but the most i think the biggest example i can give is that is that when we started the process i was really concerned about attempting the accent because it's really specific and to ask a whole cast to try the accent would be a lot and i was really worried that actors would get so caught up in trying to nail the accent that it would get in the way of just being, you know, just saying the lines and trying to give a good performance. And it could be a hurdle that I didn't want to have every day on the set. And so I kind of raised my hand and said to Kate, you know, I, I, I don't know about the accent. Is it, is it asking too much? And Kate was like, nope, if we're going to be a story about this community, in this region, and we're going to be honest about it, then we're going to do the accent. And, and that went for uh, the entire cast. As soon as Kate said yes, the entire cast was like, uh uh, like, I got to get on board now because if Kate's doing it, then I had better do yeah. it. And so, um, so I had to record my wife talking. I recorded my wife and her mom talking at the at the dinner table. I sent it to Kate, and that was sort of the start of the process. And then we had a dialect coach in Delaware County who was going around recording women and sending Kate the tapes. And what happened, Anthony, is that she was able to, you know, we created a kind of spectrum. Here's the very harsh accent, here's the subtle accent. And Kate was able to kind of land in the middle. And she had a couple women you know, that she was able to use and look to often. Um, and, uh, and so that, but, but even, even beyond that, like you said, the wig, the lines around her eyes, the roots in her hair, like the shoes, every, every detail 
has a purpose and a reason and it comes from backstory that Kate has created in her head and at a certain time in the process I gave up ownership of mayor and it became Kate's mayor and she ran with it and elevated it in ways that I could never have anticipated and and I think what she also understood in such a amazing way was the amount of humor we needed the story can get so heavy and we just needed humor. We needed the audience to breathe and laugh in honest ways along the way. And I think Kate embraced that and was able to, you know, like even the cheese whiz moment, but so many of the other lines in the show, the laughing after the funeral reception, that was Kate's idea. Like just so many moments of humor she embraced. And I think it really helped us because the show can get heavy at times and we never wanted it to feel like a death march. Were the other actors who were suspects um, in Aaron's murder, were they ever, did, did you ever give them the full knowledge that they weren't suspects? Very late in the game, Anthony, yes. Yes, we did, but late in the game. I wanna say that we were able to hold the secret of Ryan probably and, and and we never and we never sent it out wide, but there were certainly actors, like I remember talking to Robbie Tan who, who was a guy, uh, he played Billy in the show. And it was a week or two before we were about to go into production and we still hadn't sent him seven. And so he was coming in, he, you know, I remember coming into my office where we had a meeting with him and Joe Tippett and Kate and Julianne. And he was convinced he did it because he had only read six. So he, and we told him, hey, listen, we have something to tell you. He was utterly shocked by it. But there became, but, but I think there was a time, you know, where we were just about to go into production and we had to let certain actors know just so it would, it would let their performance in the early episodes dictate how they were going to play those moments. Yeah. And so it's about, even then, Anthony, we didn't give it to a lot of the crew members and our AD would make the schedule and she would be really cryptic about scenes that mentioned Ryan. And so, so we try to keep it as guarded as we could, but certainly the actors that were going to have a part in the finale had to know the ending. So we kept it as guarded as we could, as long as we could. I say this with HBO, never say never. There was never supposed to be a second season of Big Little Lies, but yet there was. <laughs> um, this, this series, this limited series was very successful for them. Is there any chance you think we'll see Mare again, either in a prequel, like earlier days with her son, or I could see her going forward. I can see her mm -hmm. getting in a whole other mess and having a whole <laughs> other crisis of conscience. Yep. You know, it's funny, I, I don't have that idea, I'd be honest, and it was really conceived as one it was conceived as a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end, and, and it definitely has an end. I mean, you know, I, I, as I said to Kate, and this is how I, you know, I've had this conversation with her, and I think she has the same instinct, which is, if we were convinced it could be great, that there was a deserving second chapter, then then I would certainly love to spend time with it. I think the trick, Anthony, is, and is really, a couple things. One is I, I did not know how wrapped up in the whodunit people would get. I, that, that's, that's the truth. I, I thought the mystery was fine, but really it was a character piece about a woman who had to overcome the loss of her son. And so I think an audience would come back to Mayor of Easttown and they would go into the second season and they would expect a gripping whodunit. And 
I don't like I don't have any ideas to what that could be. In addition, I I think what was so I think the opening season you're, you're, I, it, it, it had so much emotion in it, you know, because of Mayor and Kevin, her issues with her mother, her issues with her daughter, all the unresolved issues under one roof. I don't know how to replicate that level of emotion in the second season. And, you know, and without it feeling artificial, like, are we just going to give Mayor this other thing to worry about every day? Are we just going to create something in her life, another tragedy that she's dealing with? And it's like, how do you make that worthwhile in an honest way? And I think that we're all honest enough you know, with ourselves that unless we had something that we were convinced you know, would be able to live up to the original and be as emotional and gripping that we would say, you know what, it's not worth it. So I, as you said, never say never, but I just don't know what that would look like right now. Let's go back to the early days um, when you sold Low Dweller. Mm -hmm. what, what, what keeps your stamina, what kept your stamina in, in, in regards to, I'm not going to give up screenwriting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that it just comes from a love of the craft. I, I think that if I was still on the East Coast, I was selling insurance when the Lodge Weller sold. I was, you know, around where I grew up, really. And uh, I was, in fact, I was where I grew up. When I'm talking about I was living with my parents at that time. So, um, but I think I just loved writing. You know, I went to AFI, but as soon as I graduated AFI, I didn't want to stay in, in LA and get a job or become a creative exec or become an assistant or work on a set. I just really only loved writing. And so, you know, even while I was selling insurance, I just loved to write. And, and I loved just having to crack a story or create characters. And so I think it just come. It's like a it's like a disease now. I can't get rid of it. And uh, you know, I I come from a sports background. My dad was a basketball player. My brother was too. And so I think there's a competitive, you know, there's a competitive spirit inside me where it's like, tell me I can't do it, and I'm just it's just going to make me want to do it even more. I think I get that out of my dad. He's a he's a real competitor, and I think I have a bit of that in myself. That maybe is it gives me an engine that wants to keep going. And people tell me it's not good enough or the script stinks. And it's like, okay, I'm going to use that as ammunition. I get that out of my dad, I think. So I think it's, you know, um, but I, I think overall, it's just a, a love of writing. You know, I like, there's not a better day that when I wake up, I think I have no meetings. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can just sit with the computer and my notebook and write and listen to music. And that to me is like a perfect day. And it's torturous and it drives me nuts. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't get a thought out of my head. I think all writers have that, but I also love it. And listen, I get paid to tell stories. Like I feel like the luckiest guy in the entire world. Is it harder in this day and age to get a feature drama sold? Um, I remember um, hearing the screenwriter of Flight talking about just, just the whole, that was like years before, you know, Denzel Washington hooked himself to that and it, and he had this great quote, some, some projects are willed into existence, some just happen, mm -hmm. uh, but, but feature dramas, yep. is, are, is it a place for streamers and cable or, or do, like, what is it, what do, if you have a feature drama, what gets a major studio on board to want to make it for the big screen? Is it simply a star? Yeah. I, you know, you know, 
I haven't had much luck. I mean, I've been able to get them made on the, but I've gone the indie route there. But we did one with Ben Affleck, which was a drama the way back, right. and that required Ben Affleck. You know, Ben Affleck was a star. You know, I think Warner Brothers, you know, was able to you know make that movie at a certain price with Ben Affleck. But it's a, it's funny, Anthony. It's the reason, it's the reason I've moved into TV is because TV seems to welcome these stories and. And there's a home and there's an audience. And um, and also, you know, what I learned with Mayor was, oh my goodness, like I get, you know, I get all these hours to spend time with all these other characters I would never have time to spend in a movie. And so, you know, it's, I don't know what the future of adult dramas are on the big screen. And because look at all the change going on with movie theaters and chains right now. Like, what does that look like? I, I think the movie theater experience will always be around and there will be movies like Star Wars and the Avengers that will always have an audience inside a movie theater. But movies like The Way Back, I don't know what the future is. And those movies are just so challenging to get made. And that's that was a big reason why I moved into the TV spaces. Hey, I can tell these stories, these dramas, and and they're welcome. And this is the kind of this is the kind of material that people want to watch in their living room. And I've never had a big ego about, oh, I want my movie. It's got to be, I want the story to be seen in a movie theater. I've just always felt like, you know, my goal was to write a story and have it reach an audience, whether that's in the movie theater, in their living room, in a backyard. I just, I just feel so lucky to have a story get told and seen. And so, so whatever that is, TV or movies, as long as a story I tell gets out there, I'm just incredibly grateful. What is next for you? I don't know. We just, I mean, it's funny as, as of a couple of weeks ago, we were still editing Mayor. So I, I don't really know. I haven't gotten my head around anything yet. I've been reading some books and, and just trying to crack what the next idea will be. Um, but I don't have anything lined up right now. There's not one project that I'm actually going to move into. I've just been kind of taking some time to enjoy the mayor process now that all the episodes are out there. It's been such a good journey and I've just been uh, enjoying the time catching up with a lot of actors on the show and just laughing about some of the memories we had. So it's been a, it's been a great moment. I'm just trying to enjoy it. and spend time with my kids. I was so wrapped up in the edit, Anthony, that I didn't get to go to school and go to the basketball games or the football games. So I'm trying to catch up on all those things that I missed along the way. Um, before we go and, and, for aspiring writers out there, can you take us into your process? And we could use Mayor as an example. Do you start mm -hmm. off by drafting bios? Do you start off by outlining? Do you just hit dialogue cold and write snippets of scenes? Yep, that's a good question. I think, you know, with movies in my process, I never outlined anything. Um, I kind of I, I had an idea because I, I think my issue with outlining Anthony and, and it definitely works. And I know a lot of writers that outline and it's um, and it and, and it certainly works. But for me, the problem I've had with outlining is that when I outline something, then it becomes a bit like a shopping list. And when I get into the actual writing, I'm just going back to bullet points and inputting the bullet points into a script. And there's no room for discovery along the way. So I'm just sort of saying, oh, I have this thing written down, so that has to be the next scene. And then I have this next thing written down in a bullet point, and that's the next scene. And I've always enjoyed the process of discovery, meaning I, I sort of know where it starts emotionally. 
I know where it ends emotionally. I have a couple ideas in the middle that I'm interested in and scenes in particular or things that happen that I think could work. But then I allow myself to go on the journey with the characters because often you get into a script and go, you know, I thought this was going to happen, but the character is telling me to do this and this is actually much better. And so you have to you know, discover you know, things along the way and allow yourself to have those moments of discovery and revelation along the way. So in movies, I have a beginning emotionally and I have an ending and I kind of let myself dive in. Now that I couldn't do with the TV show because it was a murder mystery and there was so much structurally that had to be in place and genre expectations and you, you, and you had to be really specific about ending each episode with an audience leaving or leaning into one character. And so it required a lot more outlining than I had been, you know, really used to uh, in terms of movies. And, but it was great because I, I was able to, if, as soon as I knew it was Ryan, I knew where it started with Aaron, ended with Ryan. So I had the bookends in place and I could begin to strategically kind of map out the order of revelation. At the end of episode two, we're going to be leading here. End of episode three, we're leading here. So it, it required having the bookends and then I was able to play in the middle of the um, of the show. But um, in terms of actual writing, I, you know, I get up at six, I start writing. I usually go till about 11 you know, and then I'll spend the rest of the day just sort of scribbling down ideas just so when I get up the next day, I have something to start with. I hate, I really hate waking up and kind of going, oh, the blank page, have nothing. I don't know where I'm going with this. So I try to write from about, you know, six to 11 and then spend the rest of the day scribbling down ideas and getting up the next day knowing that I have something to start with. And that's my process right now is, 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 is mapping out that kind of time. And, uh, and, and listen, some days it's great and some days it's terrible. And some days you write, you know, eight pages, nine pages, and some days you can't get a word out. And that's kind of what I've learned to live with uh, as a writer. So you, you, you said discovery, which leads me to how much of the show did you find in the editing room? Oh my gosh. As that far was as the red herrings. As far as red herrings. Yes. And even yes. the attic scene. Yes, that was, that was, uh, it, I would say the great lesson of this thing. I had never been as intimately involved in the edit as I was in Mayor. On the movies, I would go to the editing room. They would show me a cut. I would give some notes and come back and, you know, watch. I was never involved i wasn't you know i never got to actually edit with the editors i would give notes on cuts and things but i was never in the edit room um and it was amazing how much editing can make up for a multitude of sins it it, it was absolutely and also music i mean we were able to you know we had such great artists that we were able to go out to our music supervisor gabe was able to reach out to grouper and the killers um, uh, gosh, who else? I mean, anyway, but it was great to play with music. And I would say like episode five was the big one in terms of the edit. We had, it was a big sequence where Zabel gets killed. And, and what I, I was convinced of was that it wasn't quite emotional, Anthony. It wasn't working as it, it was working as a thriller and, and it's shocking that Zabel get killed, but it wasn't emotional enough. And so we really, so we restructured the whole episode and we found this amazing, amazing music cue by Grouper, who's an artist I've loved for a long time. And we were able to structure the episode in that you hear that music in the beginning when Mare is 
in the bedroom and sees her son on the computer. And then we brought it back again in the middle of the episode. So you're starting to create a language with an audience, a music cue that's going to trigger the son. And then we brought it back at the end of the episode so that when she's about to pass out and she's been shot, she's leaning against that door, you start to hear that music again. And you know she's thinking about Kevin. And it was so important in her journey that she's at this stage you know, where he's, he's on her mind in a way that he hasn't been in the past because we had to plant the seed that she was going to confront the thing that's been haunting her. And it wasn't quite working in the early edits. And we, so we used this music cue and we actually stole some scenes out of other episodes and put them in this one. So I, I learned you know, so many amazing lessons about editing in this process. And it was a great joy that I got to be so involved in the edits. And uh, I really got such a kick out of it. And uh, again, I, I just feel so lucky that I got a chance to be so involved in the edits. But uh, wait, what was the second part of the question? I forgot, I was gonna answer something well, else. Uh, the, well, the attic, the attic. Oh, the attic, the attic, yes. So the attic, so I'll give you the background on the attic. The attic was, I never had that in any early scripts. It always ended with Mare and Lori on the ground and the line, I'm here, which is a callback to the homily that's given in episode two, which is a real story that my uncle was a priest. Uh, he was an Augustinian priest. He left the priesthood, but that was something that happened to him as a young priest, that a woman confronted him outside the monastery. She had lost her boyfriend in a motorcycle accident. And he said to me, I didn't know what to say to her in that moment. So, so we created a story around that. That, But what happened in that, Anthony, is, is, is that we had a therapist who was a consultant on the show. And I was asking her just in terms of dialogue for all the therapy sessions, what would you say to Mare? And this is the circumstances around her son. And, and I said to her, uh, you know, would you tell her to go to a place where, you know, where she had a memory with her son, a happy place? Uh, is it the beach? Is it a playground? And she said, no, I would tell her to go where it happened. And I was, I was a bit shocked by that just because I thought, I don't know, is that I mean, that, that's a big ask of somebody to go into the place where it happened. And, and I wasn't sure about that, but she said that that's just me as a therapist, but I would say, go to the spot where it happened and sit there and be there. And once she said that, it, it, it started to click like, no, this is, if this is a story about a woman who has to confront the death of her son, then of course it has to end there with her going up, up to the attic. And so it wasn't until we were in, a couple of weeks into shooting, I think, or maybe early, I, I forget exactly, but then we changed the ending that she has to confront this thing. And, and then I just love the ascension of it. You know, it just, she's going up the stairs, she's taking the literal steps to confront this thing. And once we got that into our minds that it was gonna end there, everything kind of clicked and it made sense. So like you said, it's just discovery. And I think that's the great lesson I've learned as a writer is to be open to ideas so many times on the set, Kate would tell me things like, as a mother, Brad, I wouldn't say that. Or Julianne would say, hey, I'm a mom, I wouldn't do this. Or Jean, and you know what? I just said, guys, you're right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, it's, it's the best idea wins. You guys know a lot better than I do. And I think uh, I learned to be a really good listener and take their ideas and push aside mine. Brad Inglesby, creator of Mayor of East Town. Thank you so much. Anthony, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.